Hey, welcome back to Level 99. I'm your host, Pete. Podcast about all things tech-related. Cloud DevOps. And mainly to help boost our careers to the next level in our journey. So this episode is going to be part two of the AWS series that will that I will go over several of the core services and things that I think anyone who wants to start off their career and their journey in cloud should probably be aware of. The first three we talked about first few things actually we talked about in the previous episode was EC2's RDS and load balancing. So if you are new, welcome and definitely do encourage you all to go check out that previous episode. Today we're going to go over a few things. EFS, Autoscale, and S3. Kind of my favorite and I do use them aggressively for work often. So the first one being Autoscale Group, that I'll talk about first. Autoscale Group goes hand in hand with EC2s and the load balancer. Now you would have an Autoscale Group depending on your environment, right? Not always will you need one and sometimes it would make sense to have one, but then it also comes down to the product. Let's say you're supporting a third-party tool. Sometimes an auto scale group won't necessarily work as you need to do extra customization for the product, but that's a little too far off the deep end to get into. But in a high overview of what an auto scale group is, it's a lot of you have probably heard of the word elastic, right? So that allows your services to either grow to auto like to scale up or scale down depending on traffic and you can set these parameters on the load balancer so every day at 10 a.m. I want 20 EC2s to be spun up so it can serve traffic and distribute the load better cool you can do that and the beauty about the auto scale group is that it will provision the same exact instance 20 times for you so there's literally no manual work and depending on the parameters and the filters you set in place, it would also scale back so that way you're not getting charged for too long. You can set things in place such as, I don't know, um, resource base. If you notice that the product is using up, let's say 80% of CPU, now you'll spin up maybe five more instances and that way you can reduce the traffic because if everyone is hitting the same node or let's say the product is heavily used you'll notice that it will speed up and it'll be a lot smoother of an application when your load is distributed evenly so things like of this nature does help my favorite part of it is the the scaling back feature because it does save you money and especially if your company is using cost centers that is that is associated to it you'll notice a dramatic change in price because when it comes down to when you're you know higher ups are asking you hey well why is our expense so high 
you can actually justify that cost saying, hey, well, we are seeing an uptick of, of traffic during X and X period. However, we scale back when it's not needed. You have proof and you have an action plan that you can implement right away. EFS and S3 are part of Amazon storage services. So EFS, you can think of it as what you would hear more on-prem as an NFS. So a network file system, right? Something you can attach to multiple uh, VMs and you can have what, like 10 or more or so uh, VMs sharing a single file system. And most of the times this is needed for certain applications that have a clustering feature because they all need to read from a single uh, file system and that way they're not overwriting each other. So if someone's making an update on one, it updates universally across all. So that's kind of what that is for. So an EFS, instead of a network file system, is an elastic file system. So clever, right? <laughs> but the, the beauty about an EFS is, by default, it comes with a fuck ton of storage, <laughs> which is amazing. You pay for what you use, which is the nice part, I have used EFS a lot. I have not come close to filling that bad boy up. I've had five terabytes of data for one product in there before and it like not even like a fraction of like the, the storage is filled, which is kind of cool. There's a lot of different use cases you can use for EFS besides just being product based, but that would kind of come down to a lot of different scenarios and what the business need is. But the one cool thing I do like about the EFS is it's nothing special. It's as simple as mounting and unmounting a, a drive. And Amazon has made this even easier, especially on Linux, that you just use their, there's like a yum package and you just mount the, the IP address. And it's not, it's not really an IP address, I said kind of take that back. It is has its own unique ID so it's like FS dash like blah 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 it does have an IP if you're trying to mount it in a different way however 90% of the time if you're mounting it on an EC2 instance in the same account you would just need that uh, file system ID and that's it now an S3 is is also very often referred to as a bucket right so if you're working I often call it as hey yeah just go put in the bucket or s3 buckets right because they view it as a giant like bucket where you can just shove a crap ton of data in there and forget about it i have used it for transferring data between accounts i've used it for just storing data actually most recently i've been forced to use it as a temporary code repo I will talk about that reasoning why in the next episode of this series, but there's a tool in AWS that you can either pull the code from GitHub or S3. Since my work AWS account is internal kind of based, internal facing I should say, I can't really go to GitHub and yank data. It's this whole thing. and. Let's just say that is one use case you can use for it. And other good use cases, you can store artifacts into it. A lot of you might have heard of tools like Artifactory from JFrog, very cool tool. So when you start building uh, resources rather than storing 
these large artifacts in your Git repos, you want to store it somewhere else because they take a lot of space. Another good example of what you can do with an S3 bucket is kind of my favorite implementation that I did at my previous organization. I had a project where I had to go and clean up thousands of resources, and I'm not kidding about thousands. It was upwards of, at the time, 12,000 resources that I got to terminate. And this all varied from abandoned security groups, IP addresses, uh, EC2s, AMI, snapshots, RDS, everything you can name, I got the nuke. And I should specify that they were abandoned, right? And I had to define that. But what I didn't want to happen was, as I was going through and cleaning up our various AWS accounts to save money and, and do all this governance and on it, I did not want to have an issue where someone would come back and say, hey, we were not informed you deleted this and you need to fix this now because this is unacceptable. So every time I would send notifications out, I had a script and a job that would push all of the logs into this S3 bucket. It would actually have a timestamp and it would go down from year, month, date, and time. It was actually two folders that I was able to create. The first folder that would get filled up was the warnings, right? So every time it was a successful warning sent to, you know, X stakeholders, it would be stored in there. And then the second folder was for the actual products that would get deleted and terminated. Now, it was very messy because this thing would run several times a week. So you can imagine all of the data that would be stored in there and it'd be incredibly difficult to go in and crawl and do that. So I was able to get an elk stack running and this was one of the most painful projects I worked on but also most satisfying. Painful because it was just so hard <laughs> and there was not a lot of data out there to do what I needed. There's a lot of data on elk to set up a fairly simple implementation of, but I couldn't find any more advanced documentation on what I was looking for. So it, it did take me a little bit more time, more than I would like to admit, but that's just the true fact of things, right? Things don't always go as planned, especially in our line of work. The beauty of what I was able to do with Elk and having a Grafana, Grafana is actually a tool that you can use to view analytics. So graphs, charts, you can design to do whatever you need as long as you have the data being imported into it. So I took all the data from the S3 bucket, imported it into Grafana, and it was glorious. <laughs> I was able to see how many resources got deleted, when resources got deleted, how many people got notifications, how many, uh, how many snapshots, you know, down to number of EC2s, you name it. it I had all that data there. And because I was overly cautious, and knock on wood, I did not get into that scenario that I feared. And if that scenario was ever to occur, because let's be honest, all of our emails are a black hole, right? I don't check my emails ever, especially at work. I figure if it's important enough, you will ping me and we can talk about it. But if you send me an email, it's probably not important to check at all unless if you're one of those people that you have the need to at your entire department and cc everyone and and my department as well just ask a question don't do that don't be that person it's so annoying <laughs> 
But anyways, I'm going on a tangent there. Sorry. S3 has a lot of fantastic use case scenarios. And the fact that it is almost like a bottomless pit of storage that you can leverage and you can design it and do whatever you need. The other beauty of S3 is that you can actually create and host a static web page. So if you all go to level99podcast.com, my website is actually a static web page from and hosted on an S3 bucket. Now a lot of you are thinking, why? Right? Why would I do this? The simple matter of the fact is it is easy, cheap, and simple. I don't have to have someone else host my webpage. I don't have to pay anyone to host my webpage. I am literally using the AWS free tier because it is under five gigs and I'm hosting the website. I spend literally 50 cents a month to host that webpage and a dollar a month for the, for the domain name. Like you can't beat that, a dollar fifty. There are other alternative solutions out there that you can use, but you are then paying a premium for the ease of use. But by just doing simple Google searches, if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and learn HTML and, and web design, you can literally do that for dirt cheap. And I'm a strong believer of keeping your costs low wherever possible. Now, those of you who are intrigued in this and decided to go down that endeavor, I should also warn you, please be careful and also leverage the billing tool to make sure you don't make mistakes because it can happen and you can run a bill if you don't know what you're doing. But there's tons of videos and documentation out there how to host a static web page and it's pretty cool, right? Like if you would go and look at my webpage, you probably wouldn't realize that it's hosted on an S3 bucket. And it is quite interesting how many websites are hosted on, on S3 nowadays. I was actually at a restaurant, uh, when was it? Over the weekend, I was craving soup and my girlfriend and I decided to go, you know, just get some hot pot. And I was looking up the menu because the one thing I have liked out of this pandemic is there's no more physical menus you just scan a barcode and you can look at the menu on your phone which i think is phenomenal but this this hot pot restaurant actually had the menu on on aws it was on an s3 bucket and i was like oh i saw that url i know what you did there pal you guys are smart i like that so an s3 has various functions that you can use whether it's passive storage, active storage, you can use it to host a static web page, or you can even push data in there and then you can use a lifecycle to eventually phase that out into Glacier if you need to. There's so many functionalities of S3 that it really just comes down to what your need is and what the use case is. Same thing with same thing with EFS and the auto scale group. You may need it, you might not need it, but it all just depends on what you're trying to design and what your needs are. So that's going to be about it for this week. Just a quick overview on what these services are, what use cases you can use them for. 
and hopefully you all were able to learn something new. As always, thanks for listening in, and until next week, take care.